This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. And welcome to the Heartland Daily Podcast. I am Anne-Marie Schieber, the Managing Editor of Healthcare News. Is Medicare Advantage a bad deal? MA plans have been around for a while. They can save seniors lots of money because they are managed inclusive plans and spare them the need to buy something called Medigap insurance, which covers things that traditional Medicare does not cover. But recently, MA plans have come under attack with critics saying that they are a bad deal. With us now to talk about the criticism is one of Medicare Advantage's biggest cheerleaders, John Goodman, the co-publisher of Healthcare News and president of the Goodman Institute for Public Policy Research. Hi, John. It's always great to have you back. Great to be with you. John, let's get to the criticisms more specifically in a minute. But first, for our listeners who may not be familiar, what is Medicare Advantage and how does it differ from traditional Medicare? All right, Medicare Advantage is a program that allows uh, uh, the elderly and the disabled uh, to enroll in a private sector plan uh, instead of traditional Medicare. And these private sector plans are very similar to the plans that many of them had when they uh, got health insurance through an employer. Uh, Some of them are HMOs, but not all of them. Uh, Integranet of Houston, for example, uh, pays its doctors fee-for-service, gets very high-quality ratings, and um, the great advantage of uh, Medicare Advantage for the senior is that they save money. Uh, the typical uh, enrollee in Medicare, traditional Medicare, has to pay three premiums, three plans. You pay a Part B premium, you par- pay a Part D premium for drugs, and then you pay Medigap insurance to fill the holes in Medicare. Um, the enrollees in Medicare Advantage pay only one premium to one plan, And uh, typically, it's no more than the traditional Part B premium. And they get more benefits. Uh, They get uh, hearing, eye, uh, uh, and uh, other other benefits that are not made available in traditional Medicare. They save money by not having to buy Medicaid uh, coverage, and that's about $2,000 a year. Uh, the program apparently costs less than traditional Medicare, and it is of higher quality. So on just about any every uh, uh, method of scoring these uh, plans, they look a lot better than traditional Medicare. And, and you can shop them out. You know, there's a menu of plans that you can maybe choose from, right? There is once a year, an open season, lasts six, six weeks, and... Uh, during the pandemic, these were extended, but normally it would be a six-week period, and uh, plans compete, and uh, seniors can join them. And what's especially interesting is that this is the only place in the entire healthcare system where plans can specialize in diseases. So you can have a plan dedicated to diabetes care, another plan dedicated to heart uh, uh, care, another for cancer. And so if you have one of these chronic problems, you can enroll in a plan that specializes in your disease. There's no other place in the healthcare system where that happens. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. All right, so recently there have been a number of articles criticizing Medicare Advantage. What do you think is prompting that? I think it's it's a bias against uh, the private sector. 
uh, it's uh, these are other government agencies that are issuing these reports. Uh, if they studied uh, the Obamacare exchanges, they would find far worse problems because that's the only other place in the healthcare system where uh, over a six week period, people choose among competing plans with government subsidies and no discrimination on, uh, on uh, for for health reasons. And so you have a real experiment there. One one of those systems works really well. Uh, the other doesn't work well at all. And yet the government agencies want to attack the one that works, ignore the one that doesn't work. So let, let's take a look at these criticisms one by one. Now, the first one deals with denial of care. So as we mentioned earlier, MA plans are all-inclusive. Um, and sometimes people, like you said, they, they're not all, but sometimes people think of them as HMOs, which have had a notorious reputation because medical decisions were made by insurance companies. Um, the report said MA plans deny, or, you know, there was a government report recently that came out and criticized MA because it said it denies services that were already authorized by Medicare. Is that true? Well, this is a report by the Office of Inspector General. And they really looked at just a handful of cases. There were a little under 250 cases that they actually looked at. Remember, there are 28 million people in Medicare Advantage plans. So this is just a tiny number of cases. And these are pre-authorizations uh, requests where you have to get authorization from the insurer before you uh, uh, have a test or enter a hospital. And 95% um, of the time, the requests were approved. Uh, so just a tiny number of cases where they're not approved, and only a tiny number of them were, were even questionable. What we have to remember, though, is that uh, the only reason why we set up an alternative system is because of the belief on the part of most doctors that a lot of medical care is unnecessary, where estimates range from 15 to 30 percent. And so we expect the Medicare Advantage plans uh, to be different, and that means they provide fewer services of, that are of low-valued care and more services of high-valued care. And so there should be a difference between the Medicare Advantage plans and the um, traditional Medicare. But whenever there are quality ratings, uh, these plans and Medicare Advantage rate very high. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the idea that they have to cover somebody for a set price, they're not going to do something foolish and deny care that's going to raise that price later on. So they have an incentive to be more particular about things that are going to work, right? Well, since you brought that up, uh, I, something I didn't say earlier is that the premium that the Medicare Advantage plan gets for each of enrollees is based on the health status of that enrollee. So there is... Um, a health assessment made, and if, if the enrollee has cancer, for example, the plan will get a much higher premium than if the enrollee is healthy. And this is the only place in the healthcare system that really works like this. And as a result, you have Medicare plans that specialize in diseases such as diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and so forth. They advertise uh, for people who have these conditions because it's profitable to, to treat their conditions. Uh, there's not an employer plan in the whole country that advertises for employees that have diabetes or cancer or heart disease. No employer wants an employee. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but these plans do, and uh, and that's the way a free market should work. Uh, we we want a market where if we have a problem, there are people out there who who compete to solve our problems. That happens in Medicare Advantage. 
So, I mean, might there be a perverse incentive to kind of declare somebody sicker so they can get a higher payment? Well, that's one way of putting it. Uh, a better way of putting it is that in Medicare Advantage, there's a real reward for accurately reporting on, on every condition that a patient has because uh, the plan gets paid more uh, for every uh, uh, condition that's identified. Whereas in traditional Medicare, doctors don't have that same incentive and they may not be as careful in reporting on the, the uh, health status of, of, of the patient. Uh, now, there's always a possibility of, of fraud. There's a possibility that uh, plans will uh, not only uh, uh, be uh, especially diligent at recording illness, but, uh, but, but, but overcharge the government. And uh, my answer to that is, well, you know, plans should be penalized if they're not following the rules. If there's real fraud, the, the, there should be even criminal uh, penalties. But I don't think this is a, a huge problem. Uh, I, th I think it really goes to the issue is the plans get rewarded for being very careful about diagnosing their enrollees. And that on the whole is a good thing. Yeah. And you could see in traditional Medicare, <clears throat> there isn't that. And so you might get inaccurate diagnoses because the government's going to pay for whatever mistake is made. It may not be intentional. Um, but when you're doing a fee for service, there really is no incentive to, I mean, you can play a guessing game. I don't think doctors intentionally do that, but somebody's going to pick up that payment uh, if it's not right, right? And the government. <laughs> well, in, in traditional Medicare, if, uh, if, if a senior came to a doctor because uh, their knee is hurting, they don't walk very well, maybe they need a knee replacement. And so the doctor writes that down and bills Medicare for that, uh, uh, for that consultation, but may, may not mention that the patient also has diabetes because... Uh, because there's no reward for mentioning it. But in Medicare Advantage, uh, the doctor would want to be very careful and record every problem uh, so that uh, Medicare is paying the right fee to the plan for that patient. And, and by the way, the, the Medicare Advantage is the only place in the whole healthcare system where if a doctor discovers a change in the patient's condition, suppose a, a previously healthy person gets cancer, it's the only place where in the whole healthcare system where the doctor can take that information, have it sent up to Medicare, and get a higher premium paid to the plan. Oh, wow. So that helps make the system work really well. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So they can even get more payments. So I want to ask you about these payments, um, the risk premiums. How do they determine them? And are they accurate? I mean, might the government be paying too much? Well, how it's done is it's the most sophisticated risk adjustment program in the whole world. And there are 70 plus variables that go into the assessment. And um, it's not perfect, but, um, but it's designed to uh, be as accurate as possible in projecting the expected cost of the patient to the plan. So if you just, let's take, for example, Cancer Treatment Centers of America that you may have seen advertising on TV. Uh, they are not in the Obamacare market because um, they don't get paid a fee that covers the cost of, of those uh, enrollees. Uh, you see them advertising on TV because they found a way to make money from Medicare. But plans like that are in Medicare Advantage, and they specialize in chronic uh, conditions, and, uh, and they make money uh, finding problems and solving them. Now, what happens if you are in an MA plan and you get critically sick? Are you going to have to tangle with the plan authorizers to get the coverage you need? 
And if you are critically sick, you're, you're probably not going to be able to do that very well. Then family members have to get involved. And then there might be court action. Um, can MA plans be risky in that regard? Well, the satisfaction rate is above 90%, uh, as it is for Medicare generally. And we don't know of any systematic complaints. And once a year, you have the right to change plans. And if it were up to me, I would make uh, uh, the enrollment, the open enrollment period uh, continuous. I, I think any time a patient's health condition changes, uh, there ought to be an ability for that patient to get to the right plan quickly, not wait 12 months. Um, so it, it's a good question. And um, uh, it, it seems to work reasonably well right now. It could be better, however. Okay. So, so what are some of the other things that you think could do to improve it? Well, I, these plans, although they're private, and although they look like employer plans in many respects, uh, they're, they're way too regulated. Uh, they don't have the freedom to, to have health savings accounts, for example, the, that uh, younger people have. Uh, they don't, uh, in general, have the ability to make arrangements with what we now call direct primary care doctors, or we used to call them concierge doctors, <laughs> where a patient uh, has a relationship with a doctor that provides all primary care, has the doctor's phone number, uh, can get care at nights on the weekends instead of going to the emergency room. So there are a lot of things that are happening out there in, um, in the medical marketplace that uh, MA plans should be taking advantage of, and, and they're held back in too many ways by, uh, by an overly regulatory structure. Now, you and I have talked about this before, about this Roth HSA. <clears throat> um, how, how would that work? Because you've been a big promoter of HSAs for people in Medicare, but it would have to be kind of like a Roth type of arrangement. Why, why does it have to be that way? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, with a regular health savings account, uh, one of the reasons why it's such a, uh, so much better, for example, than an IRA or 401k plan is that not only are you not paying taxes, but when you get to be 65, you can use that money to pay your uh, Part B premiums and your Part D premiums. And so uh, given how high those premiums are, a typical person with a health savings account will never pay taxes on that money. Uh, even if he stays healthy right up uh, to the time of, of retirement. Um, now, if you allowed that to continue, if you allowed past the age of 65 for seniors to put money into this account and get a tax deduction and then pay their Part B premiums, that would be equivalent to allowing them to deduct their Part B premiums, and that would be a subsidy. And whether or not you think that's a good thing, we're already spending a lot of taxpayer money on seniors. And I don't I don't think we need to, to spend more. So the, the, the idea behind the Roth account is that you don't get a tax break on the deposit side. So it's after tax deposits, but the money comes out tax free for any purpose, including uh, medical care. And, and you think an HSA would be a good option for someone in an MA plan that doesn't have to worry about Part B premiums, for example? Well, I, they do have to pay a fee, right? Um, I mean, does it work for, to be in a Medicare Advantage program? Do you pay any outside fees like you do with traditional Medicare? You don't pay for drugs. You don't pay the Medigap insurance. But, like, it's the premium B. You get Everyone gets hospitalization under Medicare, right? And then the premium for Medicare Advantage. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You, you can have out-of-pocket out co-payments. 
and you have that in regular Medicare and you have that in a Medicare Advantage. And there's a limit to how high uh, those, those can be. Well, thank you so much. Um, I, we should mention to our listeners that you write about this in your Forbes column, and we'll include a link to that in our notes. You know, we had Devin Herrick on recently uh, talking about Medicare. De- Devin is um, writes a healthcare blog, and he talked about that. I think it's a phenomenal thing. Um, and then also the, at the Goodman Institute, you have something called the Healthcare Toolkit. You want to tell our listeners about that? Well, it's really a Q&A for voters and candidates in this election year, and uh, there are certain key issues, uh, such as the really high deductibles and the very narrow networks that you see in the individual market, and those are totally the product of unwise uh, regulations. So, so we have this document where the voters and the candidates can learn about what the issue is, what a good reform would be to deal with them, and... Um, it, uh, it covers direct primary care, which we've already talked about, and health savings accounts and quite a few other things. And so we, I think this is invaluable for anyone who, who wants to be not, who wants to cast a knowledgeable vote, and for any candidate who wants to have a knowledgeable platform about health care. There is a, a bill in particular that you're really liking, the one by uh, Representative Pete Sessions from Texas and Bill Cassidy, Senator Bill Cassidy in Louisiana. Um, you think that's uh, really terrific. And if, you know, Congress changes hands next year, it uh, might be a possibility. You want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I like it because I help write it. Uh, <laughs> I feel partial ownership of it. Uh, now, now that's, a rad- that's a radical change, uh, not, not a small change. And it would take all of the money that we, the government spends uh, on the tax side and on the spending side and divide it up and send every American uh, – uh, a, a fixed sum amount uh, to spend on health care and, and health insurance and um, then let the market work. So that actually is an idea that John McCain ran on yeah. in the 2008 election. Uh, Obama won the election, but some of his advisors wanted them to wanted Obama to adopt the McCain plan. Uh, there have been a number of congressional bills that uh, endorse that idea. But the, the most uh, well-thought-out version is the one that I did with uh, Pete Sessions in the House and Bill Cassidy in the Senate. All right. Well, we will be looking out for that and something maybe voters might want to think about when they're casting their votes in November. Well, John Goodman, um, it's always a pleasure. Uh, thank you for coming on to be my guest. Glad to be with you. And John Goodman is a healthcare economist who is the president of the Goodman Institute for Public Policy Research. He's also the co-publisher of Healthcare News. And thank you for listening and tuning in. Share our link. Become a regular subscriber. Uh, The Heartland Daily Podcast is a terrific way to turn people onto free market ideas. Thanks for listening. This is Anne-Marie Schieber.